Hi, I'm Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We are in the fourth quarter of 2020. And I don't know about you, Pastor Howard, but it feels like it's about time that the That's end right. of 2020 has rolled around. And well. we're talking about education. That's the entire quarter subject matter. And this week, we're in lesson four, uh, titled The Eyes of the Lord, The Biblical Worldview. Uh, indeed. Yes. Excellent lesson. Yes, it is. And uh, we're going to talk about something that's uh, germane to every person in this world, even if they're not a believer. How do we look at the world? How do we yes. perceive and filter out all the input that we have? And we have a lot of input coming in yes. these days. And how do we view it all? And how do we take it and all? And how in? important a subject, especially in the context of, I mean, it's an important subject in the context of Christianity, but especially right. Christian education, raising up our young people. Absolutely. And framing that world. Yes, right. those minds need to be shaped according to the Word of God. So that's very okay. important. Um, before we do any study, of course, we need to start with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into our talking points and go yes. over them, uh, and then we'll dive right in. So you want to start with a word of prayer with us? Let's pray together. Okay. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for the privilege we have of knowing you and your son, Jesus Christ, knowing you as the creator God, and Lord, as we discuss the biblical worldview, I just pray your Holy Spirit would guide all of our understanding, guide those who are watching today, Lord, maybe some are just stumbling upon this program, and stir their hearts with a desire to know you better. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, our memory verse this week comes to us from the book of Proverbs, chapter 15, verse 3. Yes. And that's where the title of the lesson comes from, that quote, the eyes of the Lord. The lesson says, uh, the scripture says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place. Keeping watch Keep over the watch. evil and the good. And the good. So he is, the Bible asserts that he is everywhere, that he's yes. watching everything. And that is a unique perspective, especially in our world today. Not many and people that hold that perspective. And that there's evil and good mm -hmm. and Evidently, accountability to said God who's watching over it. Yes, that's a lot of loaded <laughs> yes. stuff in a single sentence. So this week we're going to talk about the importance and and biblical foundation of our Christian worldview. What in the world is a worldview? Yeah, and we'll get into that. But first, let's go over our three talking yes. points so that we can make sure to know where we're headed here. And really, what we have are three... This is a new venture today. Mm -hmm. You know, I've mentioned to our viewers that I usually work up the... Um, outline, but mm -hmm. today is the premiere yes. outline. Well, I kind of wish you hadn't said that because now they're going to be all judgy <laughs> and like really critique. Let's see it's what the difference outline. is here. Let's see what we got. Well, there should be a pretty clear cut, simple progression of thought in these three main points. And of yes. course, you know that there are seven days in the lesson study, but out of that, there should be some simple takeaway points or talking points as we call them. The first one is taken mostly from Sunday and Monday's lessons, yes. and that, that uh, there are only two worldviews. Now, I know that the people can come, no, I've, I know people who think of it like this and think yeah. of the world like this, but when you boil it down to brass tacks, you take all the variables away, really in the bottom line, you're either a worldview believes that there's a God or you don't believe there's a God. And we'll flesh that, that out yeah. in a little bit. But number one, there are only two worldviews. Talking point number two, our worldview impacts every experience of life. And by that we mean that not only is it a theoretical or a philosophical framework that you check out and go live your real life, but that mindset 
impacts all the things that you come in contact, all the information right. that comes in, how you spend your time, your money, how you appreciate things or don't, will all be filtered. It's the framework for how exactly. you understand things. Exactly. So there your... are worldviews, number one, and those worldviews filter everything else in your life. And a big one is the last one, number three, and that is that God has a moral law and a plan of redemption. So we're going to look at that theistic worldview, the idea that there is a God, and that that view of God colors everything that we do in life, and if there is a creator God, that we are therefore accountable to him, and he has a plan for us. Really, There's kind a lot of the crux of the issue as mm -hmm. to why somebody may or may not subscribe to that's right, and that's the view. distinction between Christianity and not. And so we're going to talk about right. those three points this week. Let's dive into, first of all, the introduction, which was on Sabbath afternoon. And typically, as uh, Pastor Howard has mentioned before, that the lesson quarterly will have Sabbath afternoon, nine times out of ten, is not particularly, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Content as it much as an introduction to yeah, the it's content. It's kind of a launch. It's a, an opening to it. And the same thing with Friday, and this was no different. This week's Sabbath afternoon and Friday's lessons are kind of bookends for the lesson, but they frame it pretty well. And uh, in fact, if you take a look at the, let's say, paragraph three of Sabbath afternoons quarterly, you want to read that for us, Pastor Howard? Sure. It says, as human beings, we never look at the world from a neutral position. We see it always and only through filters that impact how we interpret and understand the world around us. The, that filter is called a worldview. And it's so crucial that we teach our young people and even older church members the biblical worldview. All right, so let's dissect that a little bit. It says, as human beings, notice it doesn't say, as Christians, we have a worldview. That's right. Implying that other people don't have any view of the world, we just have a picture. No, everybody's got a picture. Right. And, and so... That picture, that framework, is how we take it's in. It's really all a set of assumptions. It is. That it is. We allow, and then we build off of it. Okay, and the idea there is that as human beings, we never look at the world from a neutral perspective, and that's kind of the basis of this whole week's lesson study: is that everybody, whether you're a believer or non-believer, that belief or non-belief is a worldview in itself. So there right. is no one who doesn't have a worldview. The and worldviews, impl by implication, are taught. We're talking about education. It's true. And they can so be established in people. What kind of worldview are we teaching our young people? That's right. So let's go to talking point number one. After we establish that worldviews are a thing, um, Sundays and Mondays lessons kind of focused on the two competing uh, ideas out there that there are only two world views. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, um, if we go to, uh, well, let's just start where there was Sunday's lesson. Um, there was the d discussion of, well, uh, let me just say this in all transparency. Here it comes. <laughs> I was a, I had a little bit of a frustration with this week's lesson in that, like, for instance, Sabbath afternoon, it talked about the imaginary talking animals and their, you know, this worldview in, in harmony yes. with that. Then on Sunday's lesson, we started talking about a, an Oxford University professor who theorized that the world and everything around it, none of it's real. So there was this other mm -hmm. fanciful interpretation. Then you go to Monday's lesson. Many years ago, a German thinker and writer named Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz, okay? Well, we're learning a lot about what the exactly. philosophers Exactly, we're hearing a lot about philosophers <laughs> and everything like that. But essentially, when you start to go through what those different philosophers and uh, uh, thinkers would kind of reflect on is that they would basically question why is there either there's either something out there more than what we can see or there's only what we can see 
And basically, I boiled that into there's an atheistic perspective on the whole universe, and that is that there is no God, A, apart yes. from God. And then from that perspective, everything in the world is natural. There's no mm -hmm. supernatural. So everything that exists and everything that operates does so of its own. Yes. It just... It always has yeah. existed, or it came into existence by some other natural process, and it operates naturalism on natural Naturalism or materialism. Naturalism, materialism, the stuff yes. that we can see yes. and feel, that is the sum and substance of the universe, right? And the, the automatic outgrowth of that is that from this view, all reality is merely natural. There mm -hmm. is no moral consideration. Now, now, when you say automatic, what you mean is logical. Yes. Because, for example, you're making the point that if everything just is substance and, and yeah. material, there's 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 no creation. It's just happenstance. Right. Then to talk of morality really makes no sense. Yet atheists will argue for morality. Yes, and we're going to get it because when we were discussing this beforehand, I say, okay, there's two worldviews, either atheistic or theistic, and people are going to say, no, 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 no. I believe in an atheistic kind of bringing forth of the world or its whole. You know, the fact that it exists is a naturalistic cause. Mm -hmm. However, within that, there are moral frameworks and there are rights and wrongs and there are higher and lower considerations. And, well, okay, but at the same time, all of those, quote, moral considerations from a naturalistic perspective are at best subjective and temporary. So, for instance, if it, it would probably be deemed wrong even by a believer or non-believer if I were just to beat you up right now. Right, and especially and by, by you, me. Exactly. you would really, regardless of what <laughs> you believe, I might not you, right. appreciate that. But what if there was you, know, you put enough time into it, and evolutionarily speaking, well, if you were in my way for any reason, right. it would be probably best for my side of the things if you mm. were out of the way, and I would eliminate you from the process. Mm. So it might be wrong in the moment, but give it a little more time and space and larger considerations, that was probably... So morality is a subjective, relative kind of yeah. variable thing. Well, we've even talked about this in the midst of the COVID thing, that from a, sure. from a purely material perspective and an evolutionary yeah. survival of the fittest, let the disease let it run its course. Yeah. And, and there are atheists that are aghast to that. It's like, no, 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 because we need to regard human life. But it, that, to me, what I like to say is, if you think that way, what that's telling you is you're not as atheistic as you think because it <laughs> yeah. simply doesn't fit, logically fit the atheistic world. Well, atheistic plus, worldview. if we arrived here by a process of the weaker dying yes. off and the stronger, you know, victorious, then we are the product of immoral. Well, you can't say yeah. that because you're happy to be here. Clearly, yeah. whatever got you here works, so we should keep that going. So, again, moral considerations are not primary or even really logically inconsistent, yeah, inconsistent with, with an atheistic naturalistic perspective. Which is why we're not atheists. Amen. At well, least in part. In, in part, yeah. But then there's this theistic, the alternative to that, which yes. is simply that there is supernatural, that there is a God, and that there, you know, in the notes here that you can find in our uh, Talking Points study guide this week, there is a being greater than the universe yes. who brought it into existence and is sovereign over it. This right. is the view assumed and asserted in the Bible. For example, let's take a look at a scripture here. Can you look at, are you going to Psalm, Psalm 53? 53? Okay. The, the other is our memory verse that you have That's true. there. So Psalm, Psalm 53. 53 verse 1. The Bible says, The fool has said in his heart, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt and have done abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. Hmm. So the Bible 
not only assumes that there is a God, but it assumes those who don't believe in a God yeah. are foolish in their thinking, that it is not logically sound to believe that way, uh, which, you know, moves us into... Well, it's interesting. The text then goes on to, to allude to moral corruption, which we're going to get around to a little bit further in right. the study. Well, it's tied again, to the, the fool who's saying there's no God. Well, again, it's going back to the assertion of the Bible, yeah. it's outright states, like our memory verse said, the eyes of the Lord are in every place. Right. It emphatically declares there is a God. He is all-knowing. He can see all things. And it says, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Right. So he, there is a distinction between evil and good, and the right. Lord knows it, and he's keeping an eye on it. Which then came into Monday's lesson where... Um, the very beginning of Monday's lesson at the top, it says, many years ago, a German thinker and writer named Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz asked, what is the probability the most basic and foundational, uh, what is probably the most basic and foundational question possible? Why is there something instead of nothing? Now, from an atheistic perspective, why is there stuff here? How did the stuff get here? Has it always been here? What is always? Mm -hmm. How can there be something, you know? But from a theistic perspective, an, a trust in a God, the answer is very simple. God did it. Well, it's interesting that one of the atheistic arguments is it's foolish to believe that there was a God that always existed. Mm -hmm. But it's not foolish to believe there's stuff that always existed. Right. There's matter and stuff that could, that, that was the gases and whatever it was that caused the explosion, the Big Bang or whatever, that yeah. can have always been here. <laughs> well, and there's no question about that. But to have a God who's, yeah. Yeah, well, what you brought out is a very good point, and I would like to draw on it a little bit more. So, for instance, the same ridicule will be cast on people who believe that, oh, you believe that Jesus turned water into wine. He right. can just do that, right? Yeah. But you, you believe that a bird turned into yeah. whatever else. And you're like, yeah, no, no, no. But it's not because God did it, because time did it. Yeah. It's like, oh, oh well, you just... Yeah, so you have a belief of miraculous events, but it's not God who did it. It's this power of time or it's the power of... Pro so there is a belief in radical change of this life, but yes. is it God who does it or not? And from a theistic perspective, again, the answer to the question is... It's the very, okay, Genesis chapter 1, you don't even have to go right. to it. You just know it by heart. In the beginning, God created the heavens yes. and the earth. So the, why is there stuff here? How did it happen? The Bible starts off answering that question. It just assumes the presence of God. Uh, the same thing is true in Exodus chapter 20, when it talks about why there's a Sabbath day rest. For in six days the Lord made the That's heavens right. and the earth. So from our Christian perspective, that's a very easy answer, to, a very easy question to answer because God did it. Right. Yeah. So but that's not our only answer. And I think even in our discussion already, one of the points, especially in teaching children a Christian worldview, is to show, you know, the, the, the world makes it sound nonsensical. But when you compare it with the evolutionary worldview, it, in my estimation, makes much more sense scientifically, logically, etc. So it's not just like, duh, you believe in God right. and whatever. No, it makes very, it's a very logical um, worldview, not to mention it's biblical. Well, well let's, and that's moving kind of into talking point number two then, because yes. the, that perspective, you choose box theism or box atheism, once yes. you step into those frameworks, it's going to color your whole experience and it's going to get into everyday that's life. Right. So I think some people lay it on a shelf as, well, that's theology talk or philosophy talk. But there's practical implications to these worldviews, yes. and it's important for young people to understand that. So, 
Well, the lesson yeah, given that rainbow illustration you were talking yes, about. Yes, it does. That. And that's going to be on uh, Tuesdays. And let's just take a look at that, right? Uh, Tuesdays, the first half of Tuesday's lesson. Yes. Um, it says, for example, this is the second sentence into the lesson. An atheist looks at a rainbow in the sky and sees nothing but a natural phenomenon. It has no meaning other than that which humans decide to give it. Now, that's an interesting thing. Well, it, it stirs my heart. Well, great. It doesn't do anything for me, mm -hmm, so it's relative right. and subjective, right? In contrast, someone uh, eyeing it from a biblical worldview sees not only the natural phenomenon. Now, underline that. It's not competing against you as a Christian disregard all natural phenomena, and you don't see science and logic and reason. You only see spiritual things. Mm -hmm. It says right. you see not only the natural phenomena, the same thing, but in addition to that... Well, you have in the outline, in, in the contrast, the atheistic and the atheistic worldview, it's only function. That's right. And so then the tendency is to say, on well, the Christian, it's only spiritual. Not true. Exactly. The, spirit, the, the Christian worldview takes into perspective both. And we believe much, in yeah. the science that made the rainbow, but we believe the God of science exactly. put those things in place for a purpose. Exactly. And that's the, that, when we t teach young people about worldviews, the, the non-believer will come to the same conclusions. There's a naturalistic view and there's a supernaturalistic view. But then he will say, this one is in competition with this one. Hmm. That you either believe science or you jettison all rational thinking and you're just a person of blind faith. When the reality is true right. biblical Christianity acknowledges and appreciates science and understands it as a complement and explanation of who God is, right? Anyway. He goes on to say, someone eyeing it from a biblical worldview sees not only the natural phenomenon, the water and light interacting, but also a reaffirmation of God's promise not to destroy the world again by water. There's a significance that's ascribed to it, right? And that's a really big deal. And I'd like to, if I were teaching this Sabbath school lesson, I would kind of drill into that a little bit deeper in the sense that when I reflect on the uniqueness of our circumstance, yes, it's not insignificant that we exist. No. So for instance, the f and, and you can go online and see all these different things that we exist in a very fragile window that provides for the life we now have. The sun has to be just this close, the moon right. the gravitational pull, the atmospheric densities and pressures yes. and the chemical balances and the, I mean, electromagnetic forces and the microns. I mean, it's just so perfectly designed for us to live and breathe and have our being, right? right? Now, Having said that, though, my, my issue with those presentations, true as they are, is they stop right there and say, look, we can live at all, thus there is a God. But while that's true, I think even that's limited. Because both that and the evolutionary perspective that say, well, we got here through hard knocks and, you know, history is red and tooth and claw and that's it, mm -hmm. or that God made us so we can survive, they both get us to merely a point of survival. Yes. But look at the world around us, Mark. Mm -hmm. We do more than survive. Sure. We, we enjoy, we appreciate. Well, and the world around us provides for that. Yes. So for it's example, simply a platform for that. Yeah. From a function. We talked about this. From if if from the atheistic worldview, function is what's important. Yeah. You know, in the whole idea for our existence. But the idea of all the colors of flowers, all yeah. the songs of birds, all of the different varieties, as you mentioned, we talked about variety of food. I mean, from a strictly atheist, in fact, the variety of foods is what gets us into trouble. Yeah. You know, when we have, we struggle with, <laughs> with, with weight loss and weight gain or rather. There's and so much like good that. food. <laughs> yeah. And you're tempted to overeat. Well, 
true evolution would have we would have evolved to the point where one it's not about food, flavor. <laughs> I'd never be tempted to overeat because right. I would have adapted to just eating for necessity. Exactly, and, and even think about the things like why do why do we appreciate music? Why right. is poetry do it? Why does a majestic <laughs> vista of a mountain or a sunset or yes. the smell of salt air? Why is that evocative? Right. Why does that stir me for anything? Mm-hmm. It's it's we're built here, yes, to survive, but also to thrive. That That's God right. wants to give us life and more abundantly. Uh, there's an interesting quote. It's not in the lesson, but I put it in the study yes. guide there in Steps to Christ. You want to read that in page ten? Yeah, page ten of Steps to Christ says, "God is love is written upon every opening bud, upon every spire of springing grass, the lovely birds making the air vocal with their happy songs." the delicately tinted flowers in their perfection perfuming the air, the lofty trees of the forest with their rich foliage of living green, all testify to the tender fatherly care of our God and to his desire to make his children happy. Mm. Powerful quote. Yeah, so even a bare bones evolutionary perspective has no answer, I believe, for those deeper longings. And even just saying that God built us with the tools to live that's, God has given us even more than that, right? He wants us to be happy. Praise yes. the Lord. But all of that comes if you were to truly believe, as I blink, yes. as I do and I want our children to do, that there is a God who created us not just for survival but to thrive and to be enriched and be blessed, that that same God has a moral law, yes. just like his physical laws that need mm-hmm. to be tended to, need to be obeyed, and a mechanism for responding to transgression of those laws, which we call the plan of redemption. Yes. What do we do about that? Now, that's a lot that's packed into, but you found that mostly on Thursday and Wednesdays. Yeah. And let me briefly explain before we dive into it. Why, why would you say Thursday and then Wednesday? Well, because in the progression of the week, on Wednesday's lesson, it talks about worshiping the Redeemer, right? And then Thursday's lesson, it talks about the law of God. Yes. But it's the law of God and our transgression of it that necessitates the need for a redeemer. Right. right. So I just would have flipped those two and say that God, just like in the same way he has natural physical laws, he has moral laws because he is a moral being and we are created in his image. And that the violation of that is what leads us to the need for a plan of redemption. So right. I would talk about well, the law before that. you bring out in the outline that. how the, the, you know, for the Christian, morality is not relative or subjective. Now, we already talked mm-hmm. about the, the atheist. I mean, morality doesn't even make sense, but there are atheists who will argue for it. Right. But as we discussed earlier, for the atheist, it's always transitory. It's always like what may be dead wrong today might be okay tomorrow. Even mm-hmm. right now in, in our country, we see people rioting who, oh, they're against violence, but like, but the circumstances demand that we... Right. So morality changed. Right. You know, there's not a hard, fast right and wrong. Well, mm-hmm. that's not morality. Yeah. You know, morality is right, and the Lord looks down on the evil and the good. Evil and good would constantly be changing right. in the minds. So the law of God provides a standard, a steadfast standard written in stone. Right. <laughs> um, yes. Indicator of morality. Well, and the scripture speaks to that. I mean, think of uh, Psalm 19, verse 7, yes. real quickly, you know, uh, and over and over again, the same sentiments, and we've got several of them uh, in the lesson. And uh, Well, we don't have time perhaps to point. look them all up, but the law of the Lord is? Is perfect, right? Right. 
And uh, Romans, you have Romans seven twelve, where it says the law is holy and the commandment holy, holy and just and, and good. Just and good. I mean, right. Yeah. So both the Old Testament and New Testament affirms that the law of God is the standard of perfection. It's the description right. of righteousness. Well, and we were talking also, I mean, so there are some things in the law of God that say thou shalt not. You know, they're restrictive. Mm -hmm. But when you think of, you know, there's not a human being alive who doesn't know. For example, when you see somebody who's strung out on drugs and, and it's so much so they can't hold down a job, uh, people, there are atheists who would look at that person and say, you ought to have more self-control, yada, yada, yada. Knowing that certain uh, restrictions, self-control, restric self restraint mm -hmm. would be necessary to that person's success mm. and yet fail to realize that in the law of God, the restraints of the law of God are not to harm us, mm. but to bring us that fuller right. life that you had talked about just a moment ago, to have, have us thrive in this life right. and in the life to come. So whenever you read like Deuteronomy 12 verse 8, you yes. shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. It's not yeah. because the Lord is arbitrarily saying like, don't you it your just way, just bossy. don't violate. No, he's like, my law is how you're best That's built right. to run. You know, That's it's right. in your best interest. Thus the quarterly on Thursday, still speaking at the law of God says, yes. Uh, paragraph six, if education is to help restore the image of God in us as far as possible in this life, I'd like to time out there and mm -hmm. let everyone remind you that at this point in our study, we're talking about education. Mm -hmm. And from the Adventist perspective, education is not just information. That's right. It's transformation. That's right. It's restoration, right? And if we view that ultimate goal as restoration to that original Edenic ideal, then the law of the Lord is central in that because it provides for that template of our happiness and That's our right. original ideal. Yes. So anyway, it says, if education is to help us restore the image of God in us as far as possible in this life, then even at the most basic level, God's law must be held up in light of Christ's example as the moral code that shows us what truly is right in God's eyes. That's right. So praise the Lord that he has created us and that he has given us his law so we know how to best function according right. to his standards. Now, some people would hear that and say, oh, we're going to talk about the law and separate from grace and redemption. <laughs> and what's interesting is you, it is imp it's impossible to separate the law from redemption. Mm -hmm. the, need, the whole idea of redemption is because of the law. Mm. And the law is there to lead us to see our need of redemption. They're just, They're you can't separate yes. those two things. And, and one thing I like about it as I'm thinking about this lesson is I think there are probably a lot of atheists who may tend to that direction because they see the limitations and, you know, the immorality in nature of man and just, I'm going to go down that road because I can't do anything else. And mm. if they only realize that the, the plan of redemption includes a restoration of mm. man into that moral perfection that God created man into, it would give hope Amen. to people to want to live better right. the way that their conscience may be telling them they should. That's right. And that's where we kind of go in a second part of this, because if it were merely the case that God built us, there was a law, we transgressed, and then we die. Yeah. Well, then that how's that really different than the atheist perspective? Well, we're all going to be just as dead yeah. anyway, right? And that Wednesday's lesson brings that out about how as crucial as the doctrine of creation is to our faith, the doctrine does not appear yeah, the alone. the first paragraph. Yeah. yeah, that's the first paragraph, the very beginning, especially in the New Testament. It often comes uh, it is often coupled with, even inextricably tied to, the doctrine of redemption. And that's because, frankly, in a fallen world of sin and death, creation alone isn't enough. And it goes on to describe with, mm. if God created us, had these high ideals, but then we broke the law, and then we just die. Yes. Well, okay, but God wants us to not only have that 
uh, restored life here, but eternal life. He wants to right. completely bring us back to that That's original right. ideal. And that eternal life is not just a quantity of life. Right. It's a quality of life. It's, it, 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 that's what makes it eternal. It's a life in harmony with the will of God. Exactly. And so repeatedly in Scripture, you see this tie between the love of God in creating us yes. and the same love of God in redeeming us because that original Absolutely. ideal is what his highest goal is for us still today. Mm. So let's go to Friday's conclusion. We need yes. to wrap this up. Uh, but it says in Fridays, in fact, this is a quote from the, from the lesson on Friday, yes. but why don't you read that for us, Mark? Sure. The true object of education is to restore the image of God in the soul. We've read variations of that in the writings of Ellen White. Yeah. That's from Page Arcs and Prophets, page, five, page 595. With this idea in mind, we can see why a solid Christian worldview is essential for Adventist education. After all, as we noted earlier, education in and of itself is not necessarily good. People can be educated, even highly educated, in ideas and attitudes that are contradictory to the principles found in the Bible. That's why, as Seventh-day Adventists, our educational system must be based on the Christian worldview. Amen. Excellent That statement. we have to have this concept in our minds because everything else is going to be built on that worldview That's right. foundation. So, a lot of good material for a robust Sabbath school experience this coming week. And so, I trust that everyone's going to have a great experience in yes. Sabbath school. And uh, we need to close with a word of prayer. Let's just bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us this world enough to sustain life, but even bigger than that, Lord, you give us your law to describe how that life can be best lived. And though we have fallen short, you've also given us your son to recreate us in your image. Lord, help us to have that worldview as we look at the events around us, the information coming in, and the, our experience in this life. Help it not to be limited merely to the natural and you know, temporary, but help us to see the eternal and the higher goals that you have for us. Lord, help us to truly be restored into your image, for we pray it in Jesus' name.